Um, if you would, open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. A few months ago in 180, uh, two months ago, we finished a nine-month study on the Sermon on the Mount. And this study for me, personally, it kind of changed my life. Everything I, I went through and experienced in life, I started filtering through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's found in chapter se- or it starts in chapter 5, and it goes all the way through chapter 7. It's, it's three chapters long. It's an incredible place in God's Word. Not only is it the, one of the first recordings of Jesus preaching when he started his ministry, but it's also one of the longest. It's one of the most inclusive teachings. And he starts off in chapter 5 with what's called the Beatitudes. It's interesting. And he goes through and he, he, he starts teaching to the, the, the Jewish hearers. And he tells them, you want to be blessed? And he, says, and he goes through all these things. And I think it just shocked the people. He says... Blessed are those, and he, he makes this list, and it has nothing to do with what we think of blessed be, because he says blessed are the gentle, the meek, the humble, the persecuted, and, and he starts tearing the, the fabric of this world apart, and he goes on in, in, in chapter 5 after that, and he goes on and starts giving comparisons of the law, and these people knew the law well. He says, for you have heard it said, but then he goes, but I tell you. And he starts making a distinguishing difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. You have heard it said that you shall not commit murder. But I tell you, if you're even angry with your brother, you're guilty. Incredible teaching. Chapter 6, he goes on and teaches about prayer, giving, fasting. He says, don't be like the scribes and the Pharisees who go out and stand on the street corner on their soapbox. And do these things in front of everyone so they can be seen. He says, for they have the reward in full. But do it in private. He's concerned about the heart. Not so much the, the, the method, the process. Not so much how we dot our I's and cross our T's, but our motive. He talks about worrying. Do not worry about tomorrow. He gives example. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the, the, the lilies of the field. They do not worry, but yet God takes care of them. Will He not take much more care of you and I. Amazing, amazing message. He talks about judging people, right? The whole, don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. Gives us the golden rule. Incredible, incredible teaching. But chapter 7, verse 13, it marks an important spot. It's the part in the sermon where Jesus, it's a transition and he's, he's beginning his close. And how he does this closing is absolutely masterful. It's, it's my favorite part of the whole sermon. It's interesting. He starts now speaking differently. He's speaking in contrast, comparing one thing to another. He kind of brings us up to the crossroads of his whole sermon, and it climaxes right here. Look at verses 13 and 14. He talks about, look at the comparisons here, two gates. He says one's small, one's big, wide. He says, we, we need to choose what gate we're going to enter. He makes another comparison. These gates lead to, comparison again, two paths. A narrow path and a broad path. Another comparison. Where do these paths lead? He gives us two destinations. He says, one leads to life and one leads to destruction. He gives us two groups of people that are going to be on these paths. Another comparison. He says, one, there will be many The other one's going to be few. Comparisons. It's interesting. Verses 15 through 20. He talks about false prophets 
and true prophets. Another comparison. He says, beware of the false prophet who come to you in, in sheep's clothing outside, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're going to come as, as we're on this journey, as we're going looking for the gate, walking on the path, trying to get to our destination. He says, be careful. There's going to be people who are going to mislead you. There are going to be people who say things contrary to the Bible. So watch out with another comparison, but you'll know them by their fruit because there's good fruit and bad fruit. There's good trees and there's bad trees. And a good tree can only produce bad fruit. A good tree can only produce good fruit. Whew. And a bad tree can only produce bad fruit. Incredible teaching. 21 through 23, another comparison. He says there's some deceived people, self-deceived. And there's some people who aren't deceived. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But, comparison, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he's saying, not everyone who acknowledges that I am Lord. The meaning Lord, Lord mean they knew who he was. You'd call a king Lord, but Lord, Lord was reserved for God. These people knew. But if you read verses 23, it says, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, you who live in a manner as if I gave you no law at all. That's an intense part of scripture. And it leads us into our text we're going to study today, which is verses 24 through 27. And again, we see the comparison. We see the same contrast. Because he says, people hear, but some people hear and obey. Some people hear and act. And in contrast, some people hear and disobey. Some people hear and don't act. Gives us a comparable of these people. He says, some build their house upon the rock and some build their house upon the sand. Some houses make it through the storm and some houses fall. And great was its fall. Let's read the text this morning. Starting in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, we'll read through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. Look at the outcome. It fell, and great was its fall. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, and we want to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Lord, we ask you to give us eyes to see and, and ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you move me aside, you move aside all of our agendas, our distractions, so that we can learn from you this morning. Lord, we want to be a group of people who are more than just hearers, but we want to be doers. We want to hear your word and then act upon it. So we ask you to let it penetrate us, so we can dig deep roots based upon your truth, not our ideas, not our precepts. Bless this time in your son's name, we pray. Amen. So, this text we're looking at this morning, we see a major contrast between obedience and disobedience. It's interesting, both groups that built the house, they both heard God's true word. But one hears the word and obeys, 
And the other, here's the word in disobeys. Some people turn to God's righteousness and others remain in their own righteousness. They trust in themselves. See, we can hear God's word. We can recognize it as God's word. But we can wrongly believe that simply hearing and recognizing is enough. That it's enough to save us. That that would just be enough to please God and guarantee us a place in, in the kingdom. They both heard it. The fool heard it, but it's like, it's like verse 21 in chapter 7 that we talked about. It's like those who say, Lord, Lord, and did I not do all these amazing things in your name? Prophesied, I healed. I taught in your name. But he says, I didn't know you. You did it with the wrong attitude. You did it for the wrong reasons. With the wrong expectation. And it's just like the fool. See, the fool knows who God is. The fool's heard the message, but he doesn't act on it. Now, if you're like me at all, when you look at a, a text like this, it's real easy to see the differences of these builders. It's kind of like apples and oranges. It's like day and night. It almost seems as if these two people have nothing in common. But if we look closely, and I want to look closely this morning, I think we can find some things that these two people share in common. And I want to spend some time not just looking at the differences, but some of the similarities. I think we can, we can learn... We can take away, we can watch ourselves and, and guard ourselves of what we're going to do in our lives when we see not only what they have in different, but what they have in common. So let's go over some of the similarities. First of all, both builders heard the gospel. They had that in common. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine. And look, it applies both to the wise men in verse 24. And it applies to the foolish men in verse 26. They both knew the way of salvation. Second thing they have in common I want to point out is they both proceeded to build a house after they knew the way of salvation. The wise man, it says, he built his house upon these words of mine, which represent the word. And the implication is that the fool, although he did not act upon Christ's word, he thought that his house was secure. He thought it was secure because he heard, he acknowledged God's word. He believed the life he lived was Christian and therefore it was pleasing to God. He did not intentionally build a house he thought was going to fall. They both had confidence in the house they built. Another similarity I want to point out is that both builders built their house in the same general location. Right? It's evident because they were hit by the same storm. And they were hit by the same storm at the same time. So it's not like one was building his house in, in Arizona and the other ones got stuck building his house on the swamp lands of Florida. These people were building in the same general location. The outward circumstances of their life were very similar one to another. In fact, they're essentially the same. One had no advantage over the other. They lived in the same town. They possibly attended the same church. They heard the same preaching. They could have went to the same Bible study. They could have fellowshiped with the same group of friends. There was a lot of similarities in their life. Their environment was common. Fourth implication of similarities I want to talk about is that they built the same kind of house. Outwardly, their house was very much alike. The architecture, the square footage, it all could have been the same. From all appearances from the outside, the foolish man lived much the same way as the wise man. We could say they are both religious. Both 
groups of people were moral. They both served in church. They both could have supported it financially. And I'm sure they're both responsible citizens within their community. They seem to live alike and they seem to believe alike. Now my purpose for pointing out similarities, the reason I think we need to learn from it is because they had all these things in common. And note this, none of those things mattered. They had all these things in common and none of them mattered. Can we not fall into that same trap? We look at this and say, oh, oh, they're different. But we forget to look at ourselves when we're in the forest, right? We see differently. When we stand above, oh, these two guys are different. He's so wise. He's so full. But do we not look around and try to find similarities? Do we not compare ourselves with our coworkers? Ooh, compared to them, I'm doing pretty good. Compared to those families on my kid's soccer team, we're pretty good. The reason we need to note the similarities is because we need to note that the similarities don't matter. Because the outcome's dramatically different. The difference between these two builders and the two houses that they built, it wasn't noticeable from the outside. But note this, that the differences are immeasurably more important than the similarities. And the key to understanding this entire text is that one person acts upon the word. He's obedient. And the other does not act upon it. Well, he's disobedient. One person builds using divine specifications and the other builds using his own specifications. And by far the greatest difference in the specifications and the manner they built their house is in the way they laid their foundation. Says the wise man, it built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. To understand rock here, we need to understand the Greek word. This isn't rock. This is Petra in the Greek. Petra is not a a large stone. Petra is not a big boulder. But Petra is a huge, immense, large outcropping of bedrock. It is enormous. It's solid. It's huge. The wise builder built his house on something that is consistent. Something that is solid, that is stable, that is unmovable. He built his house upon something that doesn't change. He built his house on something that when the rains come, the winds blow, the floods rise, it's going to last. He built his house on something that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He built upon it the rock. And the rock spoken here as well, it's these words of mine. It's God's word. The wise builder is one who hears God's word and he acts. He does God's word. Now sand... On comparison, what is it's loose. It's it's unsafety, it's it's shifty, it's mobile. When I was a kid, and now that I'm a parent that has two kids, when I go to the beach, we play in the sand. And you know what we normally do is where the waves come up and it stop, wet sand, dry sand, there's normally a spot right in there, and the kids can like just pick it right out. And you build it's not really a sand castle but it's more like that fortress. It's a half-crescent, moon-shaped wall. You build it there, and your whole, the whole plan is, we're going to build this thing, and it's going to def- stop the waves. Right? And as an adult, I start off kind of with my kids. They do this, and, you know, I, I kind of, yeah, I'm helping. Oh, come on, Dad. Oh, jeez, doing that. <clears throat> a couple minutes later, I'm shirts off. I'm down on all four, sweating, 
back's hurting, and I'm building this wall and packing it in. Big, and, you know, you always dig this big reservoir out until you get to the water line. Because for some reason you think like you need that part for your defense. <laughs> and we, we, we just go full bore on this thing. We, we find seaweed now. And we turn our seaweed into weebar. It's like rebar, but weebar, weed bar. And what we do is we dress it along the front. We pack and put all the leaves down, then we pack more sand on it. I kind of go over the top. I mean, I really make a big wall. And then we build irrigation canals that will relieve the water once our fortress holds off the water. Every time I build one of these, every single time, maybe not anymore, this might ruin it for me, I always start thinking, I'm down there working like crazy. By now, my kids aren't even helping me. And I'm working like crazy, and I start believing in my little fortress. I start thinking, dude, this is a good one. I think she's going to make it. I'm going to hold back the tides tonight. And always at that time, it's incredible. You always have enough time to stand up and move away too, you know. It's like you see the big set coming. And you just move away and here it comes. Right when you're done. Right over my little fortress. Wave goes up. Goes back down. My little weed bar is floating back out to sea. And all that's left is a little dimple in the sand with a mound in front of it. I said, ooh, that's sand. Good reminder. Isn't it interesting, though? In our lives, do we not kind of do the same thing? Start, oh, no, I know, we don't, not worldly things, not things of this treasure keeps our eyes on things above. But do we not start being confident? Do we not start kind of packing and thinking, oh, yeah, this job, not too bad. My earthly treasure's not too bad. And we keep working on them. Start thinking, yeah. I think it's going to last. I think it's going to make it. This isn't too bad. And he's reminding us, saying, oh, the rains will come. The winds are going to blow. The floods will rise. Be careful where you're building your house. He's saying, sands are shifty. Sands are entirely composed of emotion. Opinions that waver. It's speculation. It's the standards of men. It's the trends of culture. It's the differences of generation. You want a different opinion? Ask somebody from a different generation. Because they change. It's sand. Sand's not based upon God's word. It's not based upon truth. It's not based upon principle. It's not timeless. And it's definitely not eternal. That's sand. Note this. The mark of true discipleship is not simply hearing and believing but it's believing and doing. The act of true discipleship is not simply hearing and believing. It's believing and doing. Who hear these words of mine and act upon them. That's the distinguishing factor between the fool and the wise man. If you would, turn to James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. Great part of scripture. It says real clearly to us. Be doers of the word. Pretty hard to mess that one up. Not merely hearers who delude themselves, who deceive themselves, who fool themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he is. 
be doers of the word, not merely hearers. Not someone that looks at their natural face in the mirror and as soon as he's done looking, forgets who he is. What's the mirror he's referring to? Where do we look when we want to see who we are? Hint. What are we supposed to study and examine to reflect us? If we want to understand who we are, if we want to understand who God is, where do we look? So it's saying, don't be a man who reads, who studies, who digs deep, who sits and listens and hears, but as soon as he sets it down and walks away, forgets. He's saying, that man? Well, he's deceived. He's saying, that man? He's the fool in the story. In other words, a a person who professes to know Christ but does not obey Christ has no lasting image of Christ. He glimpses at Christ. He glimpses at what Christ can do for him, but he quickly forgets. And the image of Christ, well, they soon fade away. The image of his new life in Christ, they soon fade away. His experience with the gospel is shallow. It's superficial. It's short-lived. And ultimately, when the storm comes, it's going to fail. It's going to fall. If you would, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 3 through 6. It says, By this, we, us, the church, Christians, believers, followers of God, know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. I love the word know. Isn't that... For the most part, most likely, wouldn't that be horrible? But it says, we can know, we can be certain, we can be confident that we have come to know Him if we keep action, His commandments. John goes on and declares, the one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, well, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But comparison whoever keeps his word in him the love of god has truly been perfected by this we know that we are in him the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked where do we get our example how do we know what to do we use christ as example and as followers we walk in the same manner that he walked we walk in the same process see we're all in this process Individually, you are in a process of building your house. The question that you need to ask yourself is, where are you building your house? Upon what are you building your life? Storms will come. What will stand, what will fall? See, to profess the knowledge of God and His truth, but not follow God obediently and live His truth out in our lives is to be deceived. He's warning us. It is to have entered in by the wide gate. It is to walk on the broad path. And he's saying, man, it leads to destruction. Don't build your house upon sand. It's not going to last. But the house that's built upon the rock, it costs a little. The requirement's obedience. I think one of the worst things in life, period, that I would ever want to be characterized as There's a lot of things you could call me, but one thing I don't want to be called is unteachable. I think that being unteachable is the very root, the very core of what a foolish man is. And in in 2 Timothy 3.7, you don't need to turn there. You can if you want. But I think he describes what unteachable is. I want to read it to you. It says, Someone always learning 
and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Unteachable. Somebody who's always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. See, that's the hearer. That's the fool. That's the person who builds his house upon the sand. He's always learning, but he never turns it into knowledge. Never turns it into truth. Has God's word in your life become wisdom? Or is it still theory? To build your house, one's life on the sand, is to follow the ultimate deception of Satan. Satan wants us. He has a game plan. He wants us to think we're okay. He wants us to think we're safe. He wants us to think we're saved. He wants us to start finding similarities in this world. That's his game plan. He wants us to start, oh gosh, it's okay. Loosen up a little bit. Now besides the the great differences in the foundation that these two builders laid, the wise man built his house the hard way. Where the foolish man, he built his house the easy way. One chose the narrow gate, one chose the wide gate. The narrow gate's much harder. There's, it, it, there's a lot more requirements. The, 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 the wide gate's easy. It's all accepting. Anything goes on the wide gate. The wise man built his house the hard way. Now, the easy way is attractive for multiple reasons. First of all, because it's fast. Right? We, the foolish man loves what's fast. One searches carefully for rock to build his house upon, where the other one's like, oh, this looks nice. I'll build right here. He didn't find the rock. The easy way. The foolish person's always in a hurry. The foolish person's first desire is to please himself. And he'll always take the shortest route to that means. In church work, he wants what's quick. He wants what's easy. He wants always to find the simple solution. The, the solution that causes the least amount of controversy. The one that has no hassles. And he's never concerned with how his solution squares up with Scripture. But only how it appeases men. The foolish man, he's for easy faith. He's for easy evangelism. Easy believism. Easy discipleship. He's always looking for quick results that are simple to see and fast to measure. The super, the foolish person likes the easy way because basically he's superficial. And right, that's what superficial requires, little planning, little effort, little attention to detail, little concern for quality and standards. The person who's superficial looks for what is pleasing to himself rather than what is right for what is enjoyable in life rather than what is true. The foolish person is concerned with what satisfies me instead of what satisfies God. He looks for, to Christianity for instant results, for instant pleasures and instant rewards. Where are you building your house? Upon what are you building your life? See, the fool cares much about the spiritual highs, but he cares nothing about spiritual depth. Matthew 13, there's a, there's a parable of the sowers. There's four types of soil. One soil, it says it, w- it was ready to receive the seed, and the, and the seed falls on it and, it and it grows. It flourishes. 
the deeps, the roots go deep. It's fruitful. It multiplies. There's one certain type of soil, though, that really stands out like the fool. It's the soil, it, it's, it's found in verse 20 through 21. I'll read it. He says, he hears the word. He immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself. And it's only temporary. And when afflictions and persecutions arise because of the word, immediately it falls away. In the springtime, when the seed fell, the weather's nice outside. Oh, it took hold. It didn't get any roots. And when the summer came, the heat, the persecution, it didn't survive. It was only in it for the good times. It was only the fair weather faith. It didn't make it through the hard times. He received quickly, and it falls away quickly. He likes God's promises, but not so much the requirements. Foolish man always has excuses when God makes demands on his life. We see this in Luke 9, verses 57 through 66. It's really just a story of Jesus talking to a man. And the, and the, the guy responds to Jesus. is so interesting. Now he opens up and says, Oh, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Kind of like, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm on your team. I'll go wherever. Let's, where, where, what's next? And Jesus says, Whoa. Hey, hey, hey. Make sure you're in. Because he tells them a story saying, it's, it's going to require a lot. He says, foxes, well, they have their holes. Giving them examples. Birds of, have their, birds of the air have their nest. But the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. I Meaning, you want to follow me? They don't like me much. They're not going to like you much either. It's going to be tough. And it's interesting, when this guy hears this, he suddenly remembers... Uh, I gotta go bury dad. He hasn't died yet. I gotta go wait for dad to die, gather his inheritance, and then I'll join back up with you. I gotta go home and tell some people goodbye. See, the fool doesn't like responsibility. The fool doesn't like accountability. The fool doesn't want requirements. And Jesus goes on and says, such a person who puts his hands to the plow and then looks back, Jesus says, is not fit for the kingdom. I love this analogy. Hands to the plow. And we march, we move, we churn dirt, and we make ground. And you don't look back. You, why, why you don't look back? Because have you ever seen a plow field that's plowed? Those lines are straight. And that's when you start curving off. He says, you look back, you're not fit. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Put your hands to the plow and move. He goes on and says, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Be doers of the word. The rains, the floods, the winds, they sum up God's final judgment. See, the storm is the ultimate test that every house of every human life will face. All of us will have a storm. Whether one's religion is true or false, one day will be tried. And at that trial, it will prove with absolute finality who has entered in by the narrow gate and who has entered in by the wide gate. Who has walked the narrow path and who has walked the wide path. For those 
houses, those lives that were built upon the rock of Jesus Christ and his word, will be delivered from the wrath to come. Revelations chapter 20, it talks about this wrath. The ultimate judgment when we go to the great white throne of God. Verses 12, it says, I saw the dead. The great and the small standing there before the throne. The books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from things which were written in the book according to their deeds. Be doers of the word. Everyone who hears these words, are you acting or not? Verse 15, it goes on, it says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire, and it fell, and great was its fall. It's interesting. Similarities, difference. Realistically, the only difference in regards to these two builders and how the storm affected them was in the way it affected their house. The only difference in all this in regards to those two builders is the way that this storm affected their house. It was the same storm. How will the storm affect your house? Will it stand? Or will it fall? What is your life built upon? I'm sure the wise men's house shook a little bit. I'm sure it creaked. I'm sure the windows rattled. But yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon God's word. Now when the same adversity came upon the house of the foolish men, well, it disintegrated, and great was its fall. It was utterly demolished, left its builder with absolutely nothing. It wasn't like, oh, we we lost the west wing. He was left with nothing. See, it's not that one way is an inferior way to God. It's not that the foolish man is not as good a way, it's inferior, but it's no way to God at all. Always and inevitably, it leads to destruction. Its absolute destiny is to fall. The wise man, he built carefully because he understood there's substance to what I'm doing. There's great importance to what I am building. And we ought not to take it flippantly. The storm will come. Will your house stand? Or will it fall? First time I taught this about two months ago in 180, this passage. I was done with my notes. And I, as I, I believe it was Friday night and I, I had my outline done. And uh, whenever I'm done with my notes, I print them out, put them in my little binder and... Um, I normally go in my jacuzzi and I, and I study. That's kind of where I meditate. I go over you know, my, my message and maybe move some things around and stuff. This time it was interesting. I was all done and, and, I, and for some reason I went and I, I read the parallel account of this parable in Luke. It's found in the, the one part I want to talk about. It's, it's chapter 6, 48. You can look at it another time if you want. But it reads very much the same way. But he described the, the wise man. He threw in an extra word that I just loved. It says that he dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when I was in my jacuzzi, sounds so spiritual, I was sitting there thinking, and I'm going over this, and I'm thinking about the fool, and he's quick, he's lazy, does things the easy way, he wants quick results, and I'm thinking about that one word I just read. I'm all done with my outline, of course, now I'm thinking of new thoughts. And I'm sitting there, gosh, he dug deep, the foolish guy's quick, and I got this mental image of these 
two builders. And it's like they had adjacent lots. And they got to their lot. The fool, he, he, he's already, he's throwing up two by four smacking nails. The guy's building his house. And, and I, in my mental picture, I'm looking at the, the wise man and he's over here with the shovel. He's moving dirt. I sit there thinking, man, that is interesting. I lapse forward a little later. Now, the foolish man, his house has come along great. It looks amazing. When you're building a house, you only have one goal to finish. He's putting on his roof. He's installing his windows. And the wise man, oh, the dude's still digging. I sit there thinking, do we not sometimes forget what we are called to do? Not only to dig, but to dig deep. Is it not easy for us to start looking around for similarities? Man, look at his house. It's coming along so great. I'm digging. Wow. I want to stop digging. I want to frame. But we're called to dig. Later on, the guy's put in, well, he's installing carpet. His wife's picking out window coverings. They're like, they're planning the barbecue. And guess what the wise man's doing? Still digging. I think, man, God's word is pretty exact. We're not going to look like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. We're called to dig. It's simple. Thinking of this, I was kind of thinking of my own life. What's been going on in my life in the last eight months? And I know a lot of you here are going through stuff that's much worse than anything I've gone through. But these last eight months have been challenging for me. I've watched my savings dwindle. My, my, my investments and assets, a lot of them turned to liabilities. Net worth slashed. A business I started with as a teenager and had been doing ever since my whole entire adult life it was doing great. We were written up in magazines, financial magazines, business magazines, as being innovative, trendsetters, company culture. We had all those cool terms. We are just doing great. One of the fastest growing companies for multiple years in the United States. Things were going good. About eight months ago, economy caught up with us. In a three-month period, I had to lay off 40 people. All 40 of those people were very good friends. I started very young and I hired all friends. Most of those people were lifelong family friends. And through that process, I learned a lot. Most of those people now won't talk to me. Most of those people now have spread pretty bad rumors and gossip against myself and my family. And I sit there and think, got it. I understand what sand is. I understand what Petra is now. I understand what the rock is. I understand what I've spent my life watching it ooze between my fingers. I understand what it's like to be digging and look up and all you see is dirt. So I think, man, this hole's deep. But I'm called to dig. And now I understand why I can cherish Scripture like this that tells me, it's all right, young man, just keep on digging. 
Don't veer to the right. Don't veer to the left. Keep on digging. Bible tells me, and I understand it now, it says that I am I'm chosen, that I am a royal priesthood. I get it now. I have been taken from the darkness into the marvelous light. I'm a holy nation. It says that I've been given a living hope, that I've been sanctified through Christ, that I have an inheritance in heaven that will not fade or perish, but reserved for me and sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the rock. Everything else is sand. And I want to challenge every single one of you as individuals, as you sit in your chair, from one dirt, wretched, digging man to another. You, individually, as a person, are you digging? Are you digging deep? Because it's easy to buy the lie. It's easy to start thinking, oh man, I don't know. Are you, are you willing to serve God? Are you willing to serve God? It's easy to start thinking, I don't want to serve. They, they don't need my service around here. No one's asked me to serve. God's asked you to serve. Secondly, I want to challenge you, if you're married, are you digging with your spouse? Are you taking her to the rock? Because if not, it's real easy to buy the lie. Well, I don't want to go to the marriage class here. It's 24 weeks. That's a long time. I don't want to go to the marriage retreat. I don't like that type of stuff. Well, most of us don't before we go. But your spouse does. He or she, they need it. Are you willing to dig to the rock? I don't find in the Bible where it says, oh, your personal opinion. Your style. It's all the same. It's not, we're to follow, we're to dig. It's simple. I want to triply challenge you. If you're a grandparent or a parent, you've got kids. I will stand before you and tell you, my gosh, our families need to dig deep. This world is persecuting our kids unimaginably. I've been doing youth ministries for about eight years now. It is horrible. And we need families that are going to take their families to the rock so the kids can learn what it means to live and learn and walk their lives in a manner worthy of the calling so when they grow up they can start their own foundation on the rock with their own spouse and raise their own kids on the rock. Are you digging And if you are, are you digging deep? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. For everyone who's here, we thank you for our church. Lord, we pray that we would not be a church of people, family, couples, that would be good hearers. But we would be people that become really good doers. So we ask that you'd penetrate our hearts. Lord, that we would examine ourselves against your word, not our thoughts. Pray for everyone who's here, Lord. Thank you so much for this opportunity that I get to come. And Lord, we pray for Pastor John. Pray for this coming week. And it is in your sons, the perfect, the holy, the unblemished, and the spotless Lamb of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. Have a great week.